Welcome to Design Away, a podcast focusing on personal stories of designers who are living and working outside of their comfort zones. In this episode, Inez and Philip will interview Olga Mishina, lead designer at the global payment provider Atjen. Born and raised in Belarus, Olga has always had big ambitions. She initially wanted to set up and build a design culture in her home country after her studies abroad. However, various reasons made her change her mind. This is how she ended up in the Netherlands, starting a career at companies such as KLM, ING and now Agen. Listen to Olga tell her very interesting and personal story in her own words. Why she ended up looking for a job outside her home country, how the COVID pandemic has infected her daily work and what her future will bring. This interview was recorded remotely from a socially safe distance in October 2020. Thank you for joining us. I would like to ask you to, to introduce yourself, but first, do you remember the last time you had to introduce yourself to someone? Oh God, yes. I mean, last week even. Oh, okay. We're doing recruiting even in these weird times. And I have to introduce myself at least three times a week. <laughs> wow. And always digitally, so always via yeah, video. Always, always digitally, we do all the interviews via Zoom and the skill interview, everything. So you already have a good and practiced introduction. Uh, can, can you give it, a, give it to us, please? <laughs> yeah, well, it's always introduction of my current situation. So like, hi, I'm Olga, and I've been working with Adyen for two years now. And one, I'm one of the lead designers there together with the other two guys. And I'm working with the streams, like currently two streams that are basically in charge for all onboarding and KYC stuff. For the people who are not familiar with the FinTech, it's basically know your customer know your client sometimes and it's like heavily about collecting all the data processing it making sure that we are not onboarding any terrorists or fraudsters or all this stuff <laughs> yeah we're, we're quite familiar as well working in the <laughs> banking world that's uh, one thing to mention for our audience that this is where we met actually at our current employer me and Nunesis and your previous employer ING so yeah that's uh, that's the connection and you you stayed in the uh, banking world, but uh, changed to fintech. How do you see this two years almost in uh, in Adyen for you? How would you characterize them? I've been living in Amsterdam for almost 10 years at the moment. And I managed to work in very different areas. So when I just came to the Netherlands, I was I started with the branding and the publishing design. So that, that was <laughs> my thing. But then over the years, I kind of started to switch to the websites, then I went to the KLM, and then I started to work with the financial industries for some weird reason. I don't know how it happened, to be honest. <laughs> but it always intrigued me, like how such a complex and, I don't know, serious, if you can call it that way, companies work. I mean, I've been working with Nordea Bank. I've worked with the Allianz Investments in Germany. And then I was working with you guys in, in ING for quite a while. And then I moved to the FinTech, even like kind of more progressive, if you can say so. I mean, we're still technically a bank because we have, I, I had to do the mm -hmm. banker oath again. Oh, again. Oh, no. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I should say being in a company that is less, how to say, hold on by the previous past because ING and like big banks like Nordea, they have a huge past, a huge heritage that they need to deal with. 
and uh, a lot of like they have such a complex structure with so many products wholesale private the insurances mortgages everything and uh, going to fintech it's uh, way more focused and you have way more control because the structure in the end is super flat so basically i started there as a product designer we we were like 12 people, I think, when I just started two years ago. Now we're over 30 and it does look like we're going to keep growing because product design came in at the end relatively late in compared to the development itself because the company originally was built by developers and Mm -hmm. the product design came as a request by the customers. They said like, guys, your product is amazing, but your design (laughs) definitely can be better. So that, that's how product design appeared in the end. And that's how it was approached because we were kind of called as an afterthought originally, like to make things mm-hmm. presentable, usable. But what I see changing over these two years and my role within IDN is making product design not as an afterthought, but more of an initiator of mm-hmm. changes of instead of like asking a question, I don't know, are we solving this problem right? We want to ask a question if we're solving the right problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's really that's, interesting. Yeah. But uh, in this case, uh, as you were mentioning, you came from uh, ING or, uh, or other big uh, corporates, let's say, and uh, you go to uh, ADN where it's all starting. Uh, so how much uh, was this leaving your comfort zone? Because it also feels like, okay, although ING can always improve in terms of design, they have a design team that is established. So in this case, uh, it seems like it's, it's a bit out of the common place in ADN to have such a design-driven uh, culture then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's very much outside of my comfort zone because I have to kind of drive the entire product. Even that we were kind of just called product designers, we didn't have any seniority difference, we didn't have our own department, we're still uh, reporting to the tech leaders okay. on practice. and. You come from uh, big banks where everything is established, you know, the entire process, everything, like, you know, what you need to do. Like, I, you remember when in ING, you have the design gates and things like that. So it's very much, I wouldn't say set in stone, but you know what to expect. You know that you need to do the user testing in the specific time. You need to do research. You need to do some interviews. I don't know. You have to work with developers. I don't know, do design checks to see if there is some design depth. More or less, it's established. In IDN, you do whatever you want and it's it's kind it's up of to you basically to, to it's, decide it's completely on the up to you yeah and from one side it's amazing because you get all the controls in your hand but on the other hand it can be very uh overwhelming because you can be like oh my god there's so much to do i don't know where to start so and it's, <laughs> there is no one really to tell you like that's how we do things you're right. the one who's coming and telling how you want to do things and um, Olga, how, how does that work in combination with a product owner, for example? That's the thing. We don't have product owners. <laughs> you are your own owner in this case. Well, the structure looks like that. So we have streams, which is very similar to the chapters or like tribes and all that stuff. So every stream is focused on specific product. And every stream has a tech lead who is basically in charge of how everything is being built, works, delivered on time, released, all that stuff. And we have uh, a product specialist, more or less. It's very similar to product owner, but they more or less kind of right hand of the tech lead. 
Mm-hmm. So they're mm-hmm. driving all the business decisions. Uh, they're helping us with collecting all the data that we need, all the requirements, help us to work with the front-enders, with the back-enders. So the tech lead definitely decides on how the work will be distributed within the team. But I, as a product design, work on kind of same level collaboration with the product manager or product specialist, kind of like that. Sounds really but interesting. Yeah. Indeed, so yeah. it sounds like uh, a lot uh, on your plate. I, I'm also wondering how much uh, did the, this new COVID situation uh, impact that because it feels like a lot to manage even uh, from a distance. But before we get to it, maybe let's go one step back. And uh, so you originally are from Belarus uh, and living in Amsterdam, as you mentioned in the beginning for 10 years now or around that uh, time. How did you end up in Amsterdam? What is your background story? Well, my background story is quite political, being honest, because I, I started at university abroad uh, and not because I wanted to, it's because the university that I wanted to study at in Belarus at the time was closed by the government on the political grounds. And I went to study abroad at the same university because it was supported by the Nordic Council and European Commission. And they gave us uh, opportunity to study in Lithuania, but kind of with the same setup, same uh, professors, same teachers, uh, same program. And then after that, my main goal was I wanted to come back to Belarus. I wanted to build a design culture there. I wanted to build amazing products there. And when I come back, I stayed there for almost two years. But the situation was not evolving really well. And the year when I decided to leave the country, it was the year of elections. And there was huge uh, protests and people were brutally suppressed by the police and militia. And I kind of realized that I don't have enough strength to fight this. I want, mm-hmm. I want to build design. I want to change that world. I don't want to... Get into politics, basically. I mean, you cannot really escape it in a way. You, there are always going to be some, but you don't want to be so heavily influenced by it. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to change it uh, as well. Yeah. And then basically my decision was like, where, which city in Europe has amazing design culture and also I can work in English because that's kind of the only other language I knew mm-hmm. well enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But uh, it, it sounds to me that you had your mindset on design from the very, very beginning. So even in your studies and your goal was come back home and do design, do cool stuff. You know, that, that, that's the attitude that, I, that I'm getting. What, what gave you that idea in the first place that Uh, or what pointed you towards design? Uh, When this this started as well, I'm curious. Oh, it started actually quite early in my high school. I originally wanted to be a writer, a journalist. So I like in my high school, instead of going to normal high school, I went to philological one. So I was studying languages, I was studying Russian. I was preparing myself that I'm going to go into linguistics university, you know, this kind of things. And at our high school, we, we had a newspaper that actually was a printed newspaper. And there was no one to do a design for the newspaper. So I was like, okay, Quark Express, that's my thing. <laughs> I started to do this newspaper. And while I was writing and doing newspaper, I kind of realized that I like doing newspaper a bit more than writing into it. <laughs> yeah. So that's when I decided, okay, I'm not sure I want to do linguistics anymore. I actually want to design. I want to do like editorial. I want to do books. I want to do branding. So I chose the uh, university that had uh, visual design and media. 
so that's that's how it all started <laughs> wow amazing it was a turning nice. point the newspaper uh, experience yeah yeah that, that was really interesting <laughs> Cool. And, and then all, all of what happened happened, uh, what, what you described. And then you had the question in your mind, hmm, where should I go that is predominantly English speaking and that has a good design uh, culture? And you kind of maybe uh, browse through the map and you settled on Amsterdam directly or were there other contenders as well here? I mean, there was London, of course, and but it kind of, I made my research and I figured out that it's a bit more complicated visa-wise to go there. So I chose Netherlands because I didn't need any special visas or any special paperwork because I already had European citizenship. And I don't know, it kind of felt right. I've never been to Amsterdam before. That's the thing. I, I, okay. It was totally, I just put the trust on this decision and I just so went there. You, you, you had an interview remotely? I, I, came, without, I came without job. Ah, you I, came uh, without job. Wow. I collected all my savings. I quit okay. my job there. I came to the Amsterdam and uh, I started to look for a job here. Wow. <laughs> wow, a brave decision. Wow, kudos. Wow. Uh, About leaving comfort zones, uh, you really did it. Wow. Well, were, were you scared uh, at the moment? at the time how was that experience for you looking back i think i should have been scared a lot but it was felt i don't know why i was so sure that everything is going to work out but i was like i'm turning 25 there is nothing to do in my country anymore and when i go somewhere and i was absolutely settled on the idea that it's going to happen that everything going to mm -hmm. work out and I wasn't scared or like, of course, I was worried about some things like that I need to find a job in that X amount of time and I need this amount of money and, you know, all the practicalities. But in my mind, I was very much settled on the idea that it's going to work out. Wow. Amazing. And uh, that was it, the experience of looking for a job from like nothingness, because usually having a network helps a lot, but uh, you not only came from a different country, but you were also starting your career, I guess, so in a more structured way. So how was it to start without this network that is so dear these days for everybody? Well, in the beginning, it was like a cold shower, being honest, because uh, I had experience, uh, working experience from Belarus. And even as I was working on one of the biggest and the most like prominent agencies in the Belarus, it was not known here. And basically every uh, application that I sent, everyone was like, well, we don't know what is Belarus. We don't know this <laughs> brand. We don't know this uh, agency. It says nothing to us. So it, I was like all over again, a starter, a beginner, because like I wow. didn't have European experience. And that was kind of discouraging at, at one second. I was like, oh, well, I've been working for two years and I, I'm basically applying for internships all over again. <laughs> Yeah, it, it felt a bit like a step back, right? It was a step back, but I knew that this step back was still going to lead me somewhere, even if like I had to lose some time. <laughs> and it did, right? It did. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. It definitely paid off. It yeah, took yeah. me about two months to find uh, my first internship. And after this two months, I was going almost there, desperate. <laughs> because so, like, so you were like the art director intern, actually, uh, art directing the other <laughs> art directors, in a sense. Uh, yeah. yeah, basically, it's, I found the internship and it was a small, how to say, editorial Dutch agency there were like another three people except me and uh, i started there and after two months the guy was like well i kind of see that you're not a junior junior so <laughs> he gave me a normal contract actually so that that was uh, really 
kind of self-assuring nice. that it's not for nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's nice. You mentioned that it felt like a cold shower, the first experience here. Well, what were the, the other uh, shocking moments or the, the other maybe workshops, but also cultural shocks that you experienced when you came here? Let me think, because I mean, it's been nine years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I do have to say that coming to Amsterdam was like falling in love at first sight. I just immediately felt like it's my city, the culture fit me well, and I don't know how, but I met really good people from very beginning, and it was really easy to integrate. The language, of course, didn't come easy. I mean, I'm still working on that. <laughs> but trying to fit in Dutch culture, that worked for me pretty well. I didn't feel anything too too shocking maybe because i was already living abroad and i kind of traveled a lot so you kind of get used to changing sceneries because like during my studies i went to states for four months i've been studying in greece for one month also living in lithuania not in belarus mm -hmm. for a long time you kind of get used to the changing landscape mm -hmm. you kind of get this feeling that okay this is a different culture accepted maybe it's not the same as mine but that's okay yeah um, i'm curious uh, like you mentioned you did work in a belarus before and uh, then you started working in in amsterdam i wonder also in terms of uh, work culture but also even the way of uh, being at the office or we are designers so uh, for example feedback is something that is uh, really appreciated but do you see any big differences in like in the culture that that was really like obvious to you when, when you started? Oh my God, yes, definitely. So when I was working in the, this advertising agency, branding agency in Belarus, we had couches in the office and it was normal for people to stay overnight. And we would work crazy hours, crazy deadlines, like over the weekend, 24 seven, it was intense. And when I came to the Netherlands and started to work in this uh, small agency and there was like first sunny day or something and everyone was like, oh, let's go outside for a coffee. And I was like, what? <laughs> I can leave actually at five from the office? <laughs> and if it's a nice weather, we're actually allowed to go outside and have a break? What is this? Realistic deadlines? How come? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, then but, it's uh, really different from back home then. Yeah. Now, generally, I think in Netherlands, what I see in all the companies, a lot of respect to your private time, a lot of respect towards your like private life, generally, like outside of work. This work-life balance is a huge thing in the Netherlands. It's one thing I like admire about Dutch people. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I agree with that. I agree with that for sure. <laughs> I, I think we all do, right? It's uh, one of the plus, plus, plus of living in Netherlands, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But um, going back a bit uh, to your path as a designer, you started as a visual designer, mostly, I guess. Then you evolved or evolved, I don't know if it's an evolution, but you just uh, changed within the sector to more into UX, I guess, more user experience. Uh, also at ING, that uh, was uh, your role there. And now you're a product designer. How did this evolution or this shift come up to be? Like, is it something that uh, you really decided or it was just naturally uh, or you decided, or even thought, okay, I want to expand what I know. What was the process for you? I think generally speaking, as designers, we keep reinventing ourselves constantly because the tools are changing, the methodologies are changing. The technology we're working with is constantly changing. When I was going to study at university, I didn't even think about like, I don't know, being 
building apps like what is that like no one knew it back then like you couldn't even think about that or websites it was just kind of all starting and working out uh, so i didn't even think of that like we had the html course at university but i even didn't pay attention to that i was like i wanted branding what what's that no one knows the website these are web web designers everyone knows the cool designers who do advertising branding that's the thing and then over time, as the industry started to evolve so much, you started to see so many more possibilities in digital world over the printing. So it was just out of curiosity that I just wanted to expand this tool set that I had. So that's how I first started to take on more website works over the branding in this agency. And then KLM came. Uh, a friend of mine was working there and he was like, we're urgently looking for designers. Are you ready to go for it? I was like, I never worked with apps. I've never done apps she was like that's fine like okay (laughs) wow what a challenge (laughs) that was crazy because you know you you get this imposter syndrome and you're like I don't know I know nothing so I would just like work overnight and think like learn how to how do you do like what are the requirements for the apps like what are the mobile what the difference between Android and iOS like how do you approach that native not native you know It was that learning curve. Tough yeah. at the beginning, but then it all sorts out. It's, it's very yeah. satisfying. It's like yeah, yeah, the it's, moment you get this tool in your hand and it's like, whoa, yeah. that's so interesting. You, you get into the flow, you stretch yourself and uh, yeah, uh, you, you can apply your design thinking to, to anything basically. I'm curious about the, the current challenges uh, you are facing and we are all facing actually, and that is uh, COVID-19 and <laughs> be, being away from family, being away from social contact, being away uh, from interviews uh, with, with customers, at least the face-to-face interviews interviews with customers how do you deal with all of this well it definitely wasn't uh regular and of course it wasn't easy but i cannot say it was too hard work-wise because in my department i often work with the clients who are spread all over the world sometimes i need to test with the u.s users sometimes with the uk sometimes with the europe sometimes with the australia or like all the epic region and I was kind of already used to the fact that we interview them digitally and like we send them link and then we record the screen, we talk to them. So that was kind of already rolling. So that, that was working and that, that continued okay. The only difficult part was that if before your customers were more or less relaxed, they were willing to like donate their time for your research. Now, a lot of them were in very difficult situations and they're not they were not up to any user testing like even the other day we sent 60 invites like six zero and we got two back (laughs) out of 60 so it's pretty tough and because it's not because they don't want to participate because it's tough time for everyone yeah 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 for sure yeah I saw some uh, funny tweets about that, like, hey, the house is on fire, but hey, uh, check out this new logo, you know? So uh, I think we, we do need to empathize with people in these times and and understand them and not try to, to yeah. demand too much from them, but uh, rather give uh, something back. So, yeah. yeah, that's something that we had to kind of deal with and we decided that we got to slow down a bit a few things and we're gonna not gonna even reach out to particular clients because we know the situation is not mm-hmm. easy so we were mm-hmm. kind of giving them space and what about the team dynamic what do, what do you think about that how has that changed i generally love working from home it's really it's really easy in a way that to have the um, re- remote meetings 
because we have so many tools, like we work with Figma and it's amazing for remote work for multiple people. Like we work on the same file and the same we are talking. We have all these fun tools like Jamboard where we can do, I don't know, like design sprints uh, and things like that. The biggest thing that I'm missing is this unplanned interaction in office. Because when you're in office, you kind of meet people in a hallway, in a line for a coffee, uh, or just passing by in an elevator. And that's how you kind of gather information of what's happening in a company. Because when company is big, it's not like you can reach out to everyone and ask, like, what's happening in your life. That's kind of creepy and weird. Uh, (laughs) And you honestly don't have time for that. Because when you're on the way from one point to another and you just catch up with with someone on the way, it doesn't take any effort, any time, any energy from you. And now you proactively have to reach out to people. And it's not like, like, hey, I want to know what's happening in the department. It's kind of feels unnatural. So, yeah, it, it's uh, kind of, uh, we, we have to reconstruct the old way somehow in this new digital only world and uh, how it's not uh, always straightforward. I can, yeah, I feel the same, yeah. I guess. Probably. I think the closest I get to this unplanned interactions is when you join the meeting a bit too early or someone is late, you get <laughs> the time to talk a bit. <laughs> indeed, indeed, or at the end, exactly. Yeah, that's true. Or at the end, it's like, hey, you want to hang for one more moment uh, or something like that. So, yeah, yeah. 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 We are heading to our last minutes of, of our conversation, but I have two questions that I would like to still ask you. One has to do with the fact that you were saying that you, in your career, you had a lot of challenges and you try to learn new things. And I was, I'm really curious to know if you still look ahead with the same enthusiasm about new challenges as probably when you were given KLM <laughs> to do the app, I'm sure in as a good fear as well, but probably enthusiasm was part of it. I wonder if it's still something that you feel for future. And that said, what do you, what do you believe to be your future? Is it a product design? Is it something else? What is the future in your eyes? Well, I'm still super excited about everything that I do. I have amazing products. I have really fun, interesting colleagues. I have enough freedom to do whatever comes to my plate or whatever I'm looking for within the company and within our products. But looking back, everything was changing sometimes so unexpectedly and sometimes like you you cannot really predict what's going to happen. And like looking back, I would never say that I was like one day I was sitting there, I was like, oh, I want to be a web designer or I want to be a mobile designer or I want to be a UX designer. It never kind of came as the conscious decision. It's always kind of everything was leading from one thing to another, like a chain reaction. So I think I cannot say what I want to be in five years, but I definitely know how I want to feel in five years. I still want to feel excited about what I'm doing. I'm still want to think that it's valuable. It brings some joy to people everyday life. I don't know, people who work with my tools for seven hours a day. I I want to know they're okay with it. They're not struggling Mm -hmm. for every action that they need to do. Sleeping well at night, basically. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like I even don't know if it's still going to be, I don't know, desktop or mobile. It's it's kind of hard to predict those things because maybe in five years, we're not going to use these tools. We're going to use something else. So I'm not excluding excluding the possibility that I will have to reinvent myself in five years all over again. And it's going to be fun. So whatever comes, comes, but it has to give you that feeling of building something cool for people, uh, basically. Something valuable. Yeah. 
it, yeah. it should it should give this feeling of satisfaction that you did something important. Yeah. Sounds really good. Yeah. Hopefully, I hope that will be the case. And in five years, we are again talking and looking back at your last five years uh, with so much enthusiasm as today. It was uh, really nice yeah. to talk to you. Thank you so much. It was a uh, real pleasure time. to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Thanks. Thank you. Hello again. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have any feedback for us, we would love to hear it. Please write to us at hello at designawaypodcast.com.